Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. I finished phase one of my time machine experiment. Uh, In fact, I posted a picture on my Twitter feed to show you a glimpse into that experiment. And uh, I did not achieve time travel. I did not achieve any kind of forced time manipulation in phase one. That's what I expected. So now what that means is I just move on to phase two. So everything becomes more complex and expensive. But I am going to continue this research uh, over the coming days and weeks and possibly even months because I'm very serious about this. And I will do my best to keep you updated, even though, as you know from yesterday's podcast, I am struggling about the implications of success, however unlikely it may be. Um, So stay tuned to the podcast, and you'll be the first to know. But, you know, here is uh, another completely different topic that I've been um, interested in for a long time, and I've wanted to bring up and talk about on this podcast You know, if you take a short glass and you fill it with tonic water, which is completely non-alcoholic, it's just water, and you put a nice juicy slice of lime on it, and you hand that glass to a person and say, hey, here is a vodka tonic, and that person drinks it, and then you say, here, have another vodka tonic. And then you say, here, have another vodka tonic, even though there is no alcohol, it's just tonic water. The person who drinks three or four of these things will most likely and most often fail a sobriety test because he or she believed that he or she was drinking alcohol even though there was no alcohol involved at all. Isn't that funny? In fact, um, it's uh, one of these things that is sort of done sometimes as college pranks is they get like a keg of non-alcoholic beer and they'll feed this to you know a freshman until he starts acting a fool, you know, like the village, the drunken village idiot. And then they'll finally reveal there's no alcohol, dummy. <laughs> This is one example of what is called the placebo effect. Um, Placebo is from the Latin. It's Latin for I will please. Dates back to a Latin translation of the Bible by St. Jerome. And you know what's funny? Is that scientists who work with placebos say that placebos usually work even when the person knows it's a placebo. So I just presented to you a scenario in which I said, okay, I'm going to deceive this person. I'm going to tell this person there's alcohol in this drink when there is not. But what if I actually instead say, hey, there is no alcohol in this, but you're still going to get drunk, (laughs) okay? This is a placebo. It's still going to make, and then it still works, 
and the person still fails the sobriety test. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And of course, um, now when it comes to drunkenness or something like that, you could say, well, this is just, you know, somebody's imagination, uh, which is fine. But placebos are measured in both objective and subjective terms. So uh, a sense of drunkenness would be subjective. Uh, a lowered perception of pain would be an example of the subjective. But then there are objective effects such as lowered blood pressure or some difference in the way the heart rate functions. You know, these are things that become very physical. And so uh, it's also interesting to me that placebo researchers, uh, and of course most of this stuff has just been uh, within the realm of of health and and medicine, even though I think this applies to many, many, many more areas of life, uh, researchers have found that when you're giving a placebo pill to somebody and you're telling that person this pill does something, and of course the pill is supposed to do nothing, But when you're telling that person this pill does something, the color of the pill, the way the pill looks, makes an impact. For example, uh, researchers have learned that yellow pills are the most effective at treating depression, while red pills cause the patient to be more alert and awake. Green pills help ease anxiety while white pills soothe stomach issues like ulcers. The more pills taken, the better, with those taken at least four times a day being most effective. Pills that have a brand name stamped on them also work better than pills that have nothing written on them. So these are all fascinating aspects of placebo because placebo has sort of come to be known among the populace as another word for bullshit, right? Like, well, this is supposed to work to do this, but there's nothing substantive there. It's all bullshit. But actually, it's not bullshit because it's working. So there is something there. The question is, what is it? What is that thing that's there that makes this stuff work? And obviously it has something to do with the brain and your perception and the power that you have that you may not realize that you have to influence your experience. So we we rely upon a lot of the medical technology that we're subjected to as, uh, well, as a crutch, really. You'd be surprised what you might be able to just do for yourself. And knowing that it's okay to use a placebo even realizing that it is a placebo to still get the effect means that we should all be using placebos as much as possible what's i mean the the the, these are things that help us form our experience and our reality And I find this amazing on so many levels because we're not talking about data that can just be dismissed as the imagination. What we're talking about here is the power of the imagination to direct thought and ultimately the relationship between thought, mind, 
body, environment, mind over matter, and all that, right? So these placebo things are tools. And one reason I've always found this interesting is that, you know, I do a lot of interviews. People interview me about the wishing machine and other tools for manifestation, whether it be wands or whatever, but especially the wishing machine. And I'm often asked, how does the wishing machine work? And the simple, honest answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. I mean, it's a mystery. And then I often will follow up and say, but you know what? Even if the wishing machine is the most effective placebo ever created by humans, so what? If it works, it works. If you know, if the wish comes true, the wish comes true. We don't have to always know exactly how it works. Um, someday we may have more information. And I, however, do not believe that the wishing machine is solely the product of placebo. I believe that the wishing machine is a technology, and this, and, and I can give you my opinion. I can give you my theory on this. Um, I think that, and by the way, I've used a lot of different kinds of wishing machines and some are more effective than others. The most effective ones have very particularly selected quartz crystals inside of them arranged in a particular kind of circuit. And you might think, well, okay, come on. We've been talking about crystal power for thousands of years now what's new about that I'm not saying there's anything new about it but I want you to understand something I have an article in my hands right now that uh, goes back to 2013 okay so this is from five years ago published in Scientific American and the headline is data saved in quartz glass might last 300 million years. It's by Timothy Horniak, again published January 1st, 2013. And I'm just going to read this article. Most cultural institutions and research laboratories still rely on magnetic tape to archive their collections. Hitachi recently announced that that, uh, it has developed a medium that can outlast not only this old school format but also cds dvds hard drives and mp3s the electronics giant partnered with kyoto university's kiyotaka miura to develop what they call quote semi-perpetual slivers of quartz glass that hitachi says can preserve information for hundreds of millions of years with virtually no degradation. The prototype is made of a square of quartz two centimeters wide and two millimeters thick. It has, so so let me pause. You know when you were in school and uh, you had to take a slide and look at it in a microscope, maybe it'd have a little amoeba or something. So imagine taking one of those glass slides and chopping it in half so that you have a square instead of a rectangle. That's pretty much what we're talking about. That's what the size of this thing is. So anyway, um, 
it houses four layers of dots that are created with a femtosecond laser which produces extremely short pulses of light. The dots represent information in binary form, a standard that should be comprehensible even in the distant future and can be read with a basic optical microscope. Because the layers are embedded, surface erosion would not affect them. The medium has a storage density better than that of a CD. Additional layers could be added, which would increase the density. But the medium is more remarkable for its durability. It is waterproof and resistant to chemicals and weathering, and it was undamaged when exposed to 1,000 degree heat for two hours in a test. That's Fahrenheit. The results of that experiment led Hitachi to conclude that the quartz data could last for hundreds of eons. Quote, if both readers and writers can be produced at a reasonable price, this has the potential to greatly change archival storage systems. That's a quote by Ethan Miller, director for the Center for Research in Intelligent Storage at the University of California, Santa Cruz, the medium could be ideal for safekeeping a civilization's most vital information, museum holdings, or sacred texts. The question is whether the world as we know it would even last that long. Quote, Pangea broke up less than several hundred million years ago, Miller adds. Quote, many quartz-based rocks from that time are now sand on our beaches. How would this quartz medium fare any differently, end quote. So this is from Scientific American. They're talking about taking a tiny sliver of quartz and storing information in there that would possibly outlive the Earth as we know it. Not just humans, but the Earth as we know it. It makes you really want to go back and sort of re-examine the crystal skulls, doesn't it? Uh, you know, these are are skulls that are three-dimensional quartz. Not a little sliver, not a little 2D sliver, but a three-dimensional volume there. How much more could be possibly stored in some of these types of things? And so that's why I believe that um, quartz has a great sensitivity to, to data and to storing information and I believe that when you use a wishing machine what's happening is that you are essentially transmitting almost through remote control your intention into the quartz crystal circuitry and then once that's embedded and tuned it continues sitting there broadcasting your intention for you while you get distracted by other things. So you go to sleep, your intention is still being sent out there from the machine. You, you're going to have dinner, you're watching TV, you know, you're playing your video game, you're texting, whatever. This thing is sitting there 24-7 broadcasting that intention for you. I think that's sort of how that's working. So I believe it is a technology.
But there's really no way to take something that's mysterious, something that you don't understand, and differentiate its effectiveness from it just being the effectiveness of a placebo, right? So I can't tell you with certainty that, that, that this is a technology versus a very effective placebo. But what I can tell you is that more than 90% of the people who own these and use them properly, and that's a big key, okay? Don't just buy one and haphazardly use you know you you have to educate yourself on how to use it and that's why we have the wishing machine project to to educate you on how to use these things okay we have all kinds of free content you know video audio pdfs of books i mean you name it we have all kinds of stuff we can send you not to mention the fact that we will do our best on a one-on-one case-per-case basis to sort of communicate with you about how these work um but if you get one of these things and you use it properly, I mean, if over 90% of the people who buy these things have success and their wishes come true, well, then somehow it's working. I mean, wouldn't this be a terrible business to be in if every time you sell one of these things, people are pissed off and they say, oh, this doesn't work? And, they, and, and no. On the contrary, over 90% of the people say it works. So how is this working? Is it a technology? Is it something that is um, interfacing with the human brain? Or is it just the best placebo ever? I don't know because I don't know how it works. Nobody does. But it works. It works. It works. And so I think that the bigger question here is, is not really how do these exotic technologies work that interface with intention and all that but also how often are great scientific discoveries brushed aside because they fall within the margin of error so that is to say that um, in reality somebody gets funding to do some kind of a test or an experiment and they test something out and it works 98% of the time Uh, 2% of the time it doesn't work and they're like well we don't we can't explain the 2% so forget that that's margin of error you know screw that and I think that um, there's a lot to be learned about what's in that 2% margin of error and I believe when when drugs are tested and uh, and other uh, remedies for for life's issues are tested, that uh, there's always a little area where things don't work the way they're supposed to, and so instead of just you know brushing that as margin of error, we might think well maybe that's where the new discovery lies. Like there's something here that doesn't conform to the rest of the process and so this is where there's something new um there's this thing called confirmation bias which is like a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you want something to end up with a certain outcome then you're going to be inclined to focus on the data that supports what you want versus what doesn't support what you want That's a natural part of the human condition, and it's a very good part of uh, the business of research. 
because if somebody pays you money to research a certain thing looking for a certain outcome well then you're going to be inclined to um, look more on the favorable side of uh, you know of what's going to support the investors needs so there is this sliver this margin of error when it comes to scientific testing of all kinds where there are things that just don't work out the way they're supposed to and sometimes they call that placebo but I feel like that that is the area in which things are happening for a reason that we don't understand so when you start thinking about your relationship to your life and how to change things I think it's important for you to think you know I don't have to know how everything works all I care about is the result does it work or not does it work or not it's like you know I was watching a video on the internet the other day about atheists atheists who pray okay now they don't believe there is a god but they still pray because they believe that it's beneficial to have the human experience of praying to an imaginary entity um So think about that. Think about using every tool at your disposal to succeed in life. Belief is not the most powerful thing. Faith is not the most powerful thing. It's tools that you can use to get a certain achievement, a certain impact made. It's 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 like you know in um, my book Finding Your Magic, I say you look at an optical illusion. For example, maybe you have a piece of paper with some circles on it, and uh, they look like they're all spinning like a bunch of wheels. Now you know that this is a piece of paper, and you know this is an image on this piece of paper, and you know those are not wheels that are spinning. But it doesn't matter because when you look at it, you still see that wheels are spinning on this piece of paper. It's your perception that matters. Belief is overrated. Faith is overrated. Those things are necessary, but they are not the most important part of life. The most important part of life is your perception of things. So use whatever tools that you need to use even if you don't believe in them if they're working for you use them and uh, everybody's a little different so the selection of tools are always going to be a little different for everybody as well interesting to get into that and I could go on for a long time because to me this is um, digging right to the heart of what it is to be a perceptive being and an effective being and why that some people are effective when other people are not whatever it is you want to do you know what i'm talking about you know people out there they may be into something crazy but they get it done 
and you have people who have bold ambitions and great talent and they just sit there spinning their wheels and they can't get anything done use all the tools to help the mind the body and environment work together to get inspired and whether or not you believe in something if it works it works uh in fact when i do my event next month in los angeles on saturday october 13th i'm going to be digging even more deeply into this and um I look forward to uh, seeing you there. Hopefully we can we can meet up and hang out together that afternoon. Uh, just go to joshuapwarren.com. joshuapwarren.com. You'll see the yellow letters at the top of the homepage that has information on the event. Now, I'm, I'm going to be telling you soon about some new surprises I'll be incorporating that day. While you're there, I hope you'll also check out the Curiosity Shop and click the link. Click the link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. That's because I try to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. You can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will usually tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.